welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode 56. My name is Philip Wells. Today we begin with God's Word for You with Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 17, verses 10 to 16. These verses complete Job's reply now to Eliphaz, his friend. But come on, all of you, try again. I will not find a wise man among you. My days have passed. My plans are shattered, and so are the desires of my heart. These men turn night into day. In the face of darkness, they say, light is near. Hmm. My family loves the Marx Brothers. There's something about Groucho's banter and Harpo's silent, wild-eyed insanity and Chico's piano playing and Zeppo's setups for great gags that make those films from, I don't know, 80, 90 years ago worth watching again and again. With the Marx Brothers, you can be told that night is day or a fish is a flashlight and be rolling on the floor laughing. But Solomon tells us that there is a time for everything and a time to know that night isn't day. A man who is grieving and in pain might want to be cheered up by Groucho or the Stooges or Steve Martin or Tina Fey, but who would want an upside-down world all the time? There has to be a time to be sane, to grieve, and to let go. But Job's friends aren't letting him even do that much. Verse 13 and following. If the only home I hope for is the grave... If I spread out my bed in the darkness, if I say to corruption, you are my father, or to the worm, my mother, or my sister, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Will it go down to the gates of death? Will will it descend to get will we descend together into the dust? The the it in these last that's the hope of verse fifteen. I think that's clear enough. Will Job and his hope both die? Job's losses have overtaken almost everything else in his life. Besides his children, the harmony of his marriage, his prosperity, his servants, and his health, he has lost his temper, he has lost his patience, and now even his hope is slipping through his fingers. Now, hope, in Hebrew it's tikva. Hope is sometimes a desire for the future, but it can also be a certainty about the future. Without God, we have neither one. Without God, as David said in 1 Chronicles 29, without God, our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. With repentance and trust in God, then, as Ezra said, our hope returns, as it did for the returning exiles. With his usual precision, the Apostle Paul whittles everything everything that the Bible says about hope down to a single name when he says, Jesus Christ, our hope, in the first verse of 1 Timothy. Jesus is our hope of being saved based on the promises of God. We can talk about our hope in the resurrection of the dead, as in Acts 23, but we don't mean the uncertain kind of hope. We mean the definite hope we have, the hope that is only a hope because it hasn't happened for us, for us yet, but we know that it will happen. The hope for the resurrection is the same hope that we have that what spring will come again someday. It's certain, it's true, it will take place, and it is ours 
through Jesus our Savior. And again, as Paul said, in Jesus Christ, our hope. In the name of our hope, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. Next up, Tracy Fedke sings, Thee Will I Love, My Strength, My Tower, from her album, Child at Home. Thee will I love, my strength, my tower. Thee will I love, my hope, my joy. Thee will I love, with all my power. With harder time, shall never Join Pastor Tom Barthel for the Canaan Bound Devotion. Still a sinner, saved through faith. Genesis 20, 1-7 Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? Didn't she also say, He is my brother? 
I have done this with a clear conscience and a clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Once again, that's Genesis 20, 1-7. Having now finished the section of Abraham's prayer for Lot and God's rescue of Lot, we return to affairs with Abraham. Remember how in chapter 18, Abraham received the promise from the Lord that Sarah would have a son within a year's time. That makes these events all the more important and crucial. Previously, Abraham had lived a nomad's life and moved when it was necessitated by famine or trade. He now makes a journey with his entire household down south near the land of Egypt. It's here that something familiar happens. Abraham knows that powerful men in ancient times had the custom of taking women of the family of other powerful men in order to build alliances and secure a state of peace between people. And sure enough, Abimelech, king of Gerar, decided he needed to take the rich man Abraham's wife, Sarah, into his harem, likely to build up his standing. Only problem is, he didn't know this was Abraham's wife. Abraham lies about who she is. She is my sister. Why did he lie again? He had done this years before and was made rich in the end. Was he putting God to the test? Or was he fearful of his safety and wanted perhaps still to have an alliance? Was he hoping to gain riches and prestige in Gerar by doing this? There was no godly reason for his lie, only selfishness. At first, the one who is reading through the book of Genesis might think, didn't I just read about this? Well, yes, sort of. Abraham had previously done something very similar when in Egypt many years back. But make no mistake, this isn't a mistake. Some contend that Moses and other people found multiple stories about Abraham or an editor of sorts just wanted to include both versions of the same story, each with its own little variation. But Moses recorded these things, and by the Spirit's inspiration. And Moses isn't making a mistake or just compiling old records. He is deliberately including, by the Spirit's guidance, an event in Abraham's life which is a repeated sin. Why is this included? For one, it is a reminder that we can slip back into the same sins of our past. But it also shows us that the Abraham of Genesis 13, who just entered the land and who also had that same sin of deception in Egypt, was still a fallen sinner. Even after the assurance of the promise, even after the covenant of circumcision, even after all the promises and the covenant sealed, he was still in the need of forgiveness from God. When the devil tells you, you scoundrel, you sinned again, you are not worthy of God's covenant and God's blessings, then remember Abraham. God's covenant is a covenant of grace. Abraham wasn't a recipient of the grace and promises of God by works. He was still a sinner, and it was still by faith. And you, you hold to God's blessings through faith in his undeserved forgiveness and love.
until, like Abraham, we reach that promised land of rest. And now an update from the Wells Mission Blog. A post from the Wells Mission Blog. Posted December 21, 2013. How beautiful. Reverend Brad Wardell is the MLP coordinator for Asian Publications. Wardell writes about a recent trip to Nepal to help new Christians become teachers of God's Word. Our trip to Nepal included a four-day workshop with more than 100 people in attendance. Many of the participants made a difficult day's journey to get there. The aim of the workshop was to teach participants how to teach God's Word using good Christian education principles and a Bible teaching series book. The book we chose for the workshop was the Bible teaching series book about baptism, You Must Be Born Again. This book has four chapters. In the first chapter, which teaches our natural spiritual condition by birth, we identified the principles of Christian education. In the second chapter, which teaches how God gives us new birth through water and the word, the participants looked for and identified the principles of Christian education. Sylvia Falcon and Danny Waymeyer each model taught the content of chapter 3. The gospel in the Bible, in holy baptism, and in Holy Communion is the means that God uses to preserve and strengthen our faith. Chapter 4 teaches about the life of a Christian, a baptized Christian, who has been made alive in Christ, will live a life of repentance, and serve the Lord on the road to heaven. The participants divided into ten groups, and then each model taught the lesson. Each group was then evaluated on how well they taught Chapter 4. As I observed the brave student teachers talking about the meaning of baptism in our daily lives, I was reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul. I always thank my God for you because of his grace giving you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-6 Many of the participants are first-generation Christians, yet with confidence they spoke about belonging to Christ and serving under him in his kingdom of grace. All of the participants live in a developing country, and many of them come from lower classes within that country, yet they have been enriched in every way. The testimony about Christ, the gospel, came to them, and the Holy Spirit made them alive. More than being teachers of the contents of this book, they are living proof of its contents. How beautiful. Because these participants live on top of the world, and because they came to learn so they could go and tell, this verse also came to mind. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah 52, verse 7. When the waters of the flood covered the earth, those waters were even higher than the great Himalayas. Our righteous God used water to destroy this sinful earth and to start over with the human race. But those same waters lifted Noah and his family up in the ark and saved them from death. In this way, God also gave us a picture of what the waters of baptism do for us. 
Baptism also saves you, says 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. God continues to keep the promise he gave through Peter on Pentecost. Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. May the Lord continue to bless and keep all who belong to him in Nepal. May his kingdom continue to come to them and to many others, in Jesus Christ, our beautiful Savior. Read more about the trip to Nepal in the multi-language publication newsletter. To read this story and to find other stories about missions going on in the wells around the world, visit blogs.wells.net slash missions. We close out today with another song by Tracy Fedke from her album Child at Home, I Am Jesus, Little Lamb. Shall fold me to his breast.
You have been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast. This podcast was first shared in January of 2014. Visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com to learn how you can support the ministry of the Wells and the artists featured on this podcast. Once again, my name is Philip. It was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thank you for listening.